blessings to you. And uh, we're looking forward to a good time together tonight. Or I don't know how long it's going to last because uh, we didn't get over here to turn the air conditioner on until about 5.30. And so we're still trying to cool down. We're in a, in a fairly warm studio tonight. But uh, wah, wah, wah. You know, want some cheese with that wine. So that's uh, where we are. It's, I want to say thank you again to Ethan, who produces this this uh, Zoom call for us. And, uh, man, we'd be up a creek without a paddle if it w- weren't for his expertise in putting all this uh, together. Thank you, Ethan. Uh, let me just give you some. I'm going to have uh, Cheeky just put a slide up for you. And this comes from your responses to the the questionnaire. And just out of one of those questions... Uh, comes a number of very practical topics. And so just look at these and you'll see what I mean. And we're going to assign one of these topics uh, to each of the next 12 Global Sonship Zoom calls. And I'm going to be reaching out, especially to our pastoral leadership, but to others as well, uh, to get you to kind of pick up the ball on one of these themes. I want to have uh, Andres... Vargas from uh, Bogota, Colombia, come on. And Ethan has the knowledge and the expertise to help us do split screen. Is that right, Ethan? Please say yes. Yes, he said yes. So so we can do split screen and have uh, Andres on, on one half of the screen, us on the other half. Let him jump in and teach one of these topics. Have Nathan teach one. Have Jeremy Graham and teach one. And along the way, so we want to begin to hear your voice coming through and give you something to kind of study out, something that might be of interest to you. So look at these 12 topics and just uh, see if there's something that really uh, burns in your heart. And we can touch on some of these together. Uh, Obedience and loving correction in sonship. Obedience and loving correction in sonship. That's an important one. We've had several questions that came in in the the response. Somebody's got their microphone open. Um, And the the idea of obedience, we talk about it quite a bit in the books, that obedience gets a reinterpretation um, out of the Old Testament and into the New, the same way commandments gets a new interpretation. What does obedience mean when we are empowered from the inside out by the Holy Spirit? What does that look like? Then sonship and suffering. That's been a theme that the Lord's really been stirring in my heart. I believe that there's some things ahead of us that we're going to have to understand that as sons, we stay full on the inside. And, and uh, in that sense, we can walk into a fire and know that, that the fourth man is going to be with us. Son, sonship and suffering. Evangelism through a sonship lens. I think this is a, going to be a powerful theme. Uh, what does evangelism look like? through a sonship lens. I really believe this is exactly where the Holy Spirit has taken us. He's got to get his church free enough from self-consciousness and the ideas of comfort and all those things to where we can actually go out and speak uh, what he wants us to speak and look like the New Testament church of Acts 2 and 3. So that's going to be a fun one. If, if that theme really resonates with you, you might want to jump in and help us teach that one. Then sonship and marriage, I think that's going to be a great one. Uh, I'm not sure who's going to teach that one. <laughs> what, what does marriage look like when you have two mature sons or those that are growing in sonship and revelation? We talk about uh, the uh, competition of generosity, and that I think is a huge part of it. And then sonship and parenting. 
And that is going to be key. And what a powerful way to look at how to speak into our sons and daughters. Uh, How does parenting change from our normal paradigm when we really see our sons and daughters as sons from before the foundation of the world? Sonship and employment. How do we model uh, sonship, all the other things we've talked about, uh, in the world of business and for our employers? And what does that look like? Scripture's not silent about that by any means, is it? Sonship and friendships. This just comes down to the the doing of relationships. How do we do relationships well? How do we live in this sticky hesed love uh, where we just don't give up on each other? We just keep loving each other. Sonship paradigm for authority and submission. Wow. That's going to be fun. It applies to marriage, but it applies to all the others as well. Everything else, authority and submission. And Jesus is the one that models that for us perfectly, right? So all of these things we can take back to Jesus as the lens through which we see uh, how these things are lived out. Sonship in church relationships. Anybody ever had any church hurt? You know, there's a there's an old saying among pastors, there's, there's, no, there's no hurt like church hurt and somebody Mm -hmm. said if you want to see professional hurt then go to the church we've all felt some of that some of us wear some scars and so walking as sons certainly involves uh, forgiveness and blessing and we want to just talk about how do we live through those things how do we live through experiences that make us a little shy about going back to that same place again how do we avoid judgments and vows and all of the things that shrink our world. Uh, Then shaping or reshaping a sonship culture. Now, some of you as pastoral leaders, you're writing that with the mindset of of taking an existing church, maybe a church that's more conventional, if you want to say church growth-minded, church service-minded. You know, we gather on Sunday mornings, and that's the primary time. And and reshaping that culture from a sonship. Is it doable? Is it possible? Is it practical? If so, how would we do that? What would that look like? And I think that's a powerful thing because whether it's in the church that you meet at on Sunday morning or your business, your home, all of those places are places of the church, right? You're to take the church into that. And so we'll talk about that. I think that will help us really see some practical steps for living this out wherever we are. And that's the way it's designed. It's not designed. Sonship is not designed for the church world. Sonship is designed for the world uh, to bring many sons to glory, orphans back to Father's house. And then sonship impacts on prayer. Now, one of the chapters in the uh, formation is on sonship impacts on prayer. But I've learned a lot even since I wrote the book, and the Lord's taken me, those of you that are around Table of Friends, you know the Lord's taken me really through a, a whole new school on prayer, and we'll share some with you about that and get you to jump in because a lot of you guys are ahead of me in the in the arena of prayer as well. And then ministering and receiving healing primarily physical healing, but that could also be emotional healing and, and all the other things that we need. Understanding the Father's mission is to is to heal what's broken. So we know there's a sonship approach to that. And again, when we look at Jesus, we see that in its high-definition form. And I'm thinking even with that one, it, it could be broader than just healing, but receiving all the manifestations of the Spirit mm-hmm. as sons and ministering. So partnering with Holy Spirit. So we're in, in this series at Table of Friends on the gifts of the Spirit for a new generation. 
And the idea is really to see them through the lens of sonship, not as, um, not as moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit as a badge of spiritual superiority or titles or positions. Or a charismatic thing. Right. Yeah. But simply as coming as sons yeah. to, to fulfill the Father's mission, which is to heal a broken world. And so there's so many aspects of that. It's not just leading people to salvation, but it's also doing the father's work in in mending everything that has been broken so so i think there's a lot that we could that we could talk about in that especially gifts as god's compassion you know so that might be about a year from now since uh (laughs) since we have about 12 (laughs) topics and 12 months so might be a while but it's going to be good Yeah. yeah so i would i would just say if if there's some of these topics that you say, please, let's do this one like now, you know, like we might, we'll probably send you a little survey where you can rank them and let us know which one you're most interested in right away. And then if when you see this, it sparks some other ideas of additional topics, then feel free to send those in. So we'll, we'll put it all in a little survey that you can complete. But we really, we want to hear from you because this is, the idea of a forum is that we're all contributing something, that we're all dialoguing together, building each other up. So we want to hear what's in your heart, what's the Lord saying to you, what's interesting to you, what questions do you have so that we can continue building it around you. For sure. Do we need to take that down now or are we? Okay. I think everybody's had a chance to look at those. And we're very serious about uh, you chiming in or especially those of you with some pastoral leadership that uh, would just take one of those. And that's going to be your your deal. We're going to let you teach it. Uh, not taking the whole hour to teach, but bring out some thoughts that you study out, and then we talk about it. And that's how we want to pass the baton around here the same way we do at uh, Table of Friends. Good to see uh, Dave, Dave Metzger. Good to have you, brother. Such a blessing to us. Sandro from Brazil. Glad to have some Brazilians with us. By the way, I'm thinking about uh, a man named Eduardo, who's a, a coach. He coaches CEOs and business owners, and he's he's starting his first triad tonight, and he's he's gathering some of his leaders and starting uh, triads, and he's so excited. He says, I've been looking for something to... Okay, we got some... Somebody needs to turn their mic off again, I guess. So... Um, I want, to, I want us to just start with some prayer. Father, I just thank you for Eduardo and those that he's ministering to in Mexico City tonight, for Sandro and what you're doing in his life in Brazil, for all the students in Brazil that we've been pouring into, Lord, that you would uh, strike a match, let a fire burn in them, and may uh, discipleship unto sonship grow like a mighty river in Jesus' name. For each one of these that are with us tonight, those that couldn't be, but especially those that are here, I pray that you would just anoint our ears to hear, even between the words, to hear what you're saying to us, Father, that it would be so clear, unmistakable, that you would mark our hearts. Thank you for dealing with our hearts, Lord, that we would be sensitive to where we are in our hearts. Are we hearing the Father's voice? Are we hungering for your ways? Are we hungering for more of you? Are we hungering to be used as a carrier of your presence? We thank you that you're doing it. We trust you, Holy Spirit. You are the transformation agent, and you are transforming each and every one of us. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, praise God. There was one other thing that I was going to throw in, and this is it. I'm going to do it right now. And that is the uh, October 6th, 7th, and 8th Sons and Daughters Conference here. And we're excited to say we've got... uh, 
we've got some guest speakers to announce, and that is Andres Vargas, Andres and Natalia from yeah. from Bogota, Colombia, yeah. and Jeremy and Holly Graman. And uh, Jeremy and Holly will will be speaking some, but they'll also be leading some worship. I was hoping to have my oldest son here to lead the worship, and he's just getting back from India the same weekend and, and going to be too jet-lagged to be able to do that. So so Jeremy and Holly always blow the roof off the place every time they lead worship with us here. We're excited about that. We have not started registration yet. Uh, it's going to be um, a fairly low ceiling for registration, so we'll get that word out to you. We just want you to put it on your calendar so that uh, your calendar stays open there, October the 6th, 7th and eighth and that's going to be a fun fun time gathering people like yourself from different corners of the world that just need a b12 shot maybe need to be in an atmosphere of the presence of god where sonship is the language and uh that's going to be fun i can't wait for that to happen i want uh cheeky to kind of jump in on one of these topics we've been hearing and i'll just tell you a little bit where it comes from uh, and then she's got some more of that. But we've been hearing questions from students at various schools that say, well, am I a son or am I the bride? Am I the son or am I the bride? Son is male, bride is female, and I don't know. It's And so they're trying to see uh, this theological theme through uh, a very natural lens. And so uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about this tonight, about sonship and what it means to be the bride of Christ, and what's the difference? Is one before another? Are they co-equal? Is one a metaphor and one is a reality? What is it? So, Cheeky, take us into it. And and we don't come at it with a lot of answers. This is these are I come at it with more questions than answers. So I'm going to throw it out, and hopefully we can brainstorm on this together. But when you think about a lot of worship songs that we hear, they have very intimate language that could sound romantic like between like the type of intimacy between husband and wife and of course we know that in the relationality of the father son and holy spirit there's no sexuality and yet in human terms the closest that we get to understanding the 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 union between father son and holy spirit would be the sexual act so so that would be like a metaphorical thing Mm -hmm. but a lot of our songs i think lead to this you know, I'm so in love with you and this like romantic kind of thing. And I'm, I'm not, not trying to knock them down or anything, but sometimes when I hear them, it, it sounds a little too gooey to me. Mm. <laughs> but that's just where I am. So again, I'm, I'm really not trying to knock them. I think there's something to be said for that. And, and there is, like I've, I've heard a lot of people talk about, I was hearing from a friend of mine, actually describing this person's progression sort of going from like a stranger to like an acquaintance with God, then a son, and then the bride of Christ, as if it was a progression and the bride of Christ is the ultimate goal. It's like mm-hmm. it's the farthest thing to attain. So these things have been working in me just trying to ponder on that. So we've been listening to a series of uh, messages by Mike Bickle from International House of Prayer about prayer and the history of IHOP and things like that. And he, and he mentions a lot or at least in one session, he was talking a lot about the intimacy of the Bride of Christ, and he made this statement. So I'm going to throw it out there, and I want to just see what you think about that. He said, being sons of God gives us access to his power, but being the Bride of Christ gives us access to his heart. So I guess we can start with that and just invite some feedback. Is there 
Uh, does that resonate with you? Do you see any problems with that? Uh, does that sh change the, the, the language of sonship? Um, is, is sonship lacking in intimacy? Is so it give the statement again. Lots of questions. So the statement again is, being sons of God gives us access to his power. Being the bride of Christ gives us access to his heart. What do you think? We're just throwing it Not at you. Not all at once, yeah. <laughs> Got you all thinking. <laughs> okay, Jim, you want to say something? Or I guess one aspect of being a bride and also recognizing that, that what Jesus prayed for us to be one with him and one with the Father, there, that closeness of oneness in that relationship ends up being um, nothing closer, like Chica says, as being husband and wife. And so that can be the ultimate um, answer to Jesus' prayer that we really are that close. And whether it's of the same heart, the same mind, same accord, same goals, same vision, uh, there's nothing closer to that. I, I guess the question is, is being a son not quite there and i'm not sure i can um yeah. that is the question yeah <laughs> that's the question not is sure there a progression really thought about that in that way that uh that um but if we take it only in in our own human terms then then our children really isn't the same as our spouse but mm. again we we can use the wrong um, language metaphors to really look at how our relationship is to to God, and so um, uh, that's where I, I don't want to, in my mind, get too hung up right. on on the words and what that could mean. Because um, again, um, we just know that if we are orphaned, that we're we act like we're not in the family, which that's what it means. <laughs> so right. we at least right. know that we're. We're there with the Trinity, and and yes, there can be a a uh, um, so close that we do have that same heart, same mind with them. That that potentially the son is is um, um, gravitating to that point. Yeah. Good. Thank you, Jim. I'm so glad you brought up the, the idea of metaphors because we do find a lot of metaphorical language in scripture. And, um, and, and we can get hung up on the words and miss the point that the words are trying to convey. So like there's one place where it says that we're no longer slaves, but sons, but another place we're no longer servants, but friends. And so we could build a whole thing about the distinction between all of those. And I think friends we'd be, sons, we'd be yeah. missing the forest yeah. for the trees. Right. We like I think they all point to intimacy, to ways of relating. Uh, and it's certainly the, the key distinction in all of those is that that there's an invitation to closeness of relationship that is yes. not a standoffish yes. judge do my bidding without any relationship. But it's an invitation to closeness. So. Yeah, to me. And I, I'm just going to throw this idea out that and you've heard me talk about it. We're not really called just to follow Jesus therefore choose how far we follow we're called to be in him as he's in the father and the father's in him and i i find his language there pretty clear uh that the same way the son is in the father the father is in the son that's that's not just closeness that's mutual indwelling 
and oneness, and I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about what the metaphors, what kind of metaphors, what do we look at when we find a, 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 a metaphor language in metaphor? What's the key? What do we look at to know so the, so the if key it's a metaphor from or not? The literary sense, metaphors always include words like, as. There's a comparison in it. So it's pointing that it's not, it's not this directly. It just looks like it, acts like it, is similar to. Yeah. And I think when we find the, the language bride of Christ in scripture, it's or the bride, actually, just the word bride, mm-hmm. it's, it's pretty much always a meta- in, in, a meta- in a metaphorical mm-hmm. sense. It's like a bride who. Yes, the one place you will find in uh, Revelations, and it's only three times at the end of Revelations, uh, Paul doesn't use it at all. I, I would have sworn up and down that Paul used um, bride of Christ, but I can't find it. Um, but the one place is at the very end in Revelations where it says that uh, we will be uh, the wife of the Lamb the wife of the lamb. And there's no like or as there in in all the other places, especially the Old Testament. It's a like and an as, which tells us it's a picture of intimacy. It's a picture of total commitment to one another. From the Hebrew connection, it would be covenant. It, it's the deepest covenant you can have is, of course, the husband and wife. Nathan, you... Before before Nathan jumps, it, we'll get to just a second, Nathan, because I think part of the conversation we were having this afternoon came to that. It's like, is the language of Bride of Christ pointing to the initial covenantal relationship between God and Israel? And it's pointing to the fulfillment of the covenant. And I don't know. I, it's just just questions that are there. Okay, Nathan. <laughs> Um, I can, the, the, the quote you, you uh, quoted from Mike Bickle, I just, my, my first initial response, I guess you could say to when I hear that, what it means to me and immediately came to my mind is Ephesians chapter three. Okay. And it starts in verse 14 says, um, for this reason, I kneel before the father for whom the whole family in heaven and on earth drives its name. I pray mm-hmm. that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you and that you is plural with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, and how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. And so when, when I hear that, like as a sons, we have power as individuals, we have been graced with the gifts to be the hands and feet of Jesus. And like without this, even the the mutual indwelling between us and the father, but also each other, mm-hmm. you know, there needs to be this, this whole, this, this community aspect of mutual submission with one another. And as we are connected and, and growing together, it says we're together rooted uh, uh, together with all the saints, we grasp how long, how wide, how deep is the love of God, right? So when we talk about the bride has access to his heart. There's a level of the love of God that can only be experienced through together with all the Lord's people. And so mm-hmm. that's initially what came to my mind. So yes, there's this individual grace that I have, but the heart of it is in that exchange with his, our brothers and sisters, and even, even giving ourselves away to loss. And it kind of triggers back to what we talked about with, you know, love and enemies, like the good father, he, he, he sends provision to both the just and the unjust. And so it just, this, as we, as sons, we have this empowerment to be like him in the earth. It's, it, it's the heart of it is found in community. Yeah. 
So now you're bringing right. a whole, yeah. yeah. Now you're bringing a whole new thought that makes sense to me, but I hadn't heard it in those words specifically. But when we talk about being sons of God, it says you are now the sons of God, plural. So like each of us has that relationship with the Father, Son mm -hmm. of God. But when he talks about the bride of Christ, it's always the corporate, corporate. church mm -hmm. as a whole. So that I, I cannot be, the, I'm not the bride of Jesus uniquely. It's not like Jesus has, you know, millions of concubines. <laughs> Sounds goofy. But, um, and this is, this is really where this popped up on our radar as something that we need to talk about. Uh, because we're hearing it. We're hearing it from a generation coming up. And they, uh, they seem to act like they're, they're the bride. You know, they're going to dress up. They're going to, they're going to wear me, a bridal me, gown. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to wear a bridal gown. I'm going to be, I'm Jesus' bride. You know, he loves me. Well, uh, it's, it's never seen that way in the scriptures as far as each one of us being a bride to Jesus. The bride, uh, from what I can see in, in Revelations, is made up of both Old and New Testament saints together. And we see that in the foundation and the gates of the city, the foundation would be the Old Testament uh, tribal leaders, sons of Jacob, and the the gates are the New Testament prophets, uh, apostles. So, so this is this idea is important. How do we see? And and the language is important. Language is, very, especially in the scriptures, it's very specific, important. Or we drift off into some ways of thinking, like progressions, uh, from from one thing to another. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. What uh, Hannah Hannah Marie had Hannah. a question. Says, could it point to the relationship differences of being the bride of Christ, but the son of God? Is mm -hmm. it how we relate to the persons of mm -hmm. the Trinity? So it's excellent, and I, that was the first thing that came to me some time back. Was I'm a son of the Father? How I relate to the Father? Of course, you can't relate to the Father without relating to the Son and the Spirit. But I relate to the Father as a son. And I relate to Jesus as what? I would be the bride. He's the groom. Okay. So there's not that many references. I've, I've done the research on it. There's not that many, but there are. And we will, uh, we will be. The whole city of Jerusalem will come down as a bride uh, for the marriage supper of the Lamb and be the wife's Lamb. So, so. In my heart, I think, Hannah, you've really touched on something key there. One is my unconditional love received from my father that allows me to live as a carefree, childlike son of a daddy that knows everything I will ever need, mm -hmm. but also called into an intimacy with the heart of the son in, in whose I am. I so think that, there's a key there. So that would be, that points to one of the questions that I had is, how is the intimacy of sons... How does it compare to or how is it different from the intimacy mm. of a bride? And and again, looking at the idea that bride is not as an individual thing, but the Corporate. bride of Christ mm -hmm. as a church. But it is certainly the, the metaphorical language is certainly an invitation to very close relationship, that oneness that we were talking about at the beginning. So so what does the intimacy of a son look like as compared to the intimacy of a bride? Any thoughts? I'd love to hear from Andreas. I'd love to hear from Dave Metzger. You guys, Karen. you've got decades of walking with the Lord in the scriptures. Andres? I was thinking about the, the concept of bride, and I think that uh, the idea of a corporation or corporate is quite different than uh, an individual 
I mean, we can see the church as an organization or as an organism. When I see the church as an organization, then I can I can talk about like many being one. Uh, but if I talk about individualism and I'm talking about sonship, and I think I always think about uh, the bright concept as a way for for God to to put the church in the place the church must be. You know, if you look a little bit in in Ephesians five. The only reference talking about the bride and, and, and Christ is talking about the marriage. It's not talking about the relationship, personal relationship mm-hmm. or sonship relationship. And mm-hmm. I think that is a, is a way to, to make a difference between the, the prophecies about the, the people of Israel, the Gentile and the church. So I think that's, that's the way he's using that meta, metaphor. Mm-hmm. Is is not something about the relationship uh, as a fact of sonship, but it is talking about uh, this is the church, this is the Israel people, and this is the Gentile. Cool, thank wow. you, Andres. Dave, you want to jump in? I just appreciated the way you both of you are are being honest with the metaphors and not taking them further than they need to go. And so I really have nothing to add. Thank you very much. Okay. <laughs> All right. Appreciate Good. that. Good. Thank you. So I think, so, so back to the questions, how is, how would the intimacy of sons compare different to the intimacy of the bride? And I, addressing what you were saying, this one thing, it's, I guess I would just say that, it, it answers for me the question of why so many people in the church are fascinated with the idea of being the bride of Christ is because when we are so individualistic, it gives me a sense of intimacy, an intimacy that was designed to be within the body of Christ, but that we're lacking. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, oh, but I'm the, bride of, I'm the bride of Jesus, so I'm going to have that intimacy mm-hmm. there. But really the invitation is for us to, like Nathan said, for us to have intimacy with one another as we have intimacy yes. with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yes. not just with one or the other. Nathan, you want to add something there? Yeah, it just came to me. Um, I, last year, I read uh, Andrew Murray's book, Abide in Christ, and it talks about the difference our relationship between the Father and the Son, and I just had this picture come to my mind when you're asking the question. In that book, he talks about how the vine depends upon the branches for fruit bearing, and yet the branches depend upon the vine uh-huh. or to the, the sap for fruit bearing, and yet it's the Father who tends the vine. And so that just come to the image because there is this like there is a mutual submission that takes place in our relationship with with Christ. Right. And I figure right. our, as our, we relate to the father as he's providing and he's giving. And so not to take again, like the other guy said, I can't remember. Your name, I'm sorry, but the, the metaphors beyond what they mean to say. But right. I think kind of paints the picture that Christ mm-hmm. in his mission to rescue the earth has decided to share his glory with us, his sons. Right. There's this dependence on us doing, you know, our, our part in the relationship, if you will. And so um, I, that just came to my mind. It's such a it's such a I wish I had it in front of me. But he said that in his in his mercy and his and his power, he he chose in his wisdom to be dependent upon the branches to bear his fruit. Yeah, you're drawing on a powerful metaphor and it's a metaphor that shows us the father is nurturing the relationship between the son 
and the sons, right? He's nurturing that. He's the only one working in that in that picture. He's the vintner. He's he's the one that's propping up the vine and the branches that go with that. He is nurturing the relationship, making us one in the Son. Father, I pray that you would reveal to them that the same way I'm in you and you are in me, that they are in us. He's nurturing our relationship together, of course, by the indwelling Holy Spirit. Powerful. So this, so this brings up another thought, going back to the Mike Bickle quote, that being sons of God gives us access to his power, but being the bride of Christ gives us access to his heart. So here would be the question, could it be that, that there, there has been something about sonship that can be taken too casually where it actually diminishes intimacy? And again, I'm, I'm trying to figure out the question, like, why, why the fascination with, with the bride when it is quite metaphorical, like Dave uh, pointed out, or like Dave affirmed? Um, is it, can sonship, so let's, so let's focus on sonship now, not on the bride metaphor. When we talk about sonship, is it possible that we take the idea of being sons of God too casually, where it diminishes intimacy? And what do you think about that? What does it look like? Okay, Nathan, go ahead. You you guys are totally allowed to tell me to shut up, but I think I think Sorry, in, shut uh, up, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think uh, I think in the West, I can I think we tend to um, take sonship too casually, just because of the cultural, you know, environment with family. I I heard a guy say in the West, I can't remember who it was, but in the West, familiarity is the death of honor, but in the East, it's the fuel of honor. And it's like the way yeah. we view, you know, our, so I think it definitely can because of our already casual nature with our own families. I think you bring up a great point there that in the West, our idea of sons, our goal as fathers is to raise up independent sons. You know, we, we even, I mean, this was trained into me as a young parent that the goal was self-governance that if I can get my kid to 18 or 21 and they can go out and be on their own, that's the goal of good parenting. Well, that's a very individualistic Western idea of what fathering sons looks like. The father's never trying to get us out where we're independent and on our own. He's nurturing the codependent relationship or the interdependent would be a better way to say it. The interdependent relationship between us and the son and the Holy spirit. That's a great thought. And I just want to, trace back around to something cheeky launched there earlier. If you think about our typical worship services in the West, at least where we're gathered with hundreds, maybe thousands, thousands of people. And usually the room is dark. I still hadn't figured out why we darken the room. I'm sorry. I'm not going to get on that hobby horse, but, but I know the, the idea is just get alone between you and God. We're going to turn the lights out so you're alone between you and God. Well, is that really what God wants? So even in our worship, we've got this idea that it's just me and God, me and Jesus. And we it's like the pastor one time that said, and it was a very large church, and the service is going, there's worship going on, and finally he stands up, and he's he's kind of doing the emceeing between the, the gaps, and he says, well, let's just, and he does this, time out. He says, let's just put pause on church for a minute, and let's turn around and greet one another. 
<laughs> and Cheek and I looked at his like, what? You have to pause church, church to have relationship that's horizontal. I thought the point was that we, we come together to encourage one another. So I, I'm, I think you've touched on something here that's really bigger than we imagine in the West, and that is our ideas of sonship have really gotten so westernized, so individualized. If I can just get you out on your own, you know, then, then, then I've succeeded. And if we have a church service, we can turn the lights down. It's just me and God. And we have to pause church. We have to push the pause button to turn around and hug somebody, greet somebody, and, and bless somebody. So so I'm, I'm trusting that this is kind of breaking through. I know it is for me just the idea that, yes, in John chapter 1, he says, to those who receive him, he gives the authority or power to become sons of God. Yes, there's power in that, but I don't see any lacking uh, at all of intimacy. The Father wants us to know his voice, and Jesus keeps trying to connect us to the Father's voice. That's intimacy. Father wants to walk with us in the cool of the day. He wants us to learn his voice and, and know his voice better than, than any other, and that's not just so that we can become brides in the metaphorical sense, but now are we the sons of God. Now are we not like the sons of God. Now are we the sons of God. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that will be a, another topic that we're going to add to the list. Okay. And it's like, how does Western culture, the individualistic Western culture, impact or distort sonship, our understanding of sonship? So, Sylvia, yeah. you've had your hand up for a while. Love to hear from you. That's okay. I'm sorry. Hello, everyone. That I Hi, wasn't Cindy. able just to, to mention about your position as a daughter and as a bride. And I really believe that intimacy is progressive. And I just wanna bring this. The father conquered my heart as a daughter first. Now that I feel secure in his love, I can go to the next level and intimacy. Now he's giving me a position as a bride. Cool. Yeah, so, th so there is, there is I, I hear what you're saying, definitely different different dimensions of intimacy mm -hmm. and the, and the the closest oneness, that's where the bride metaphor comes in, is the closest oneness that we don't experience as just being sons, right? So he, he draws our heart, like you said, draws our heart. I want don't you be convinced that I love you um, unconditionally, that, that you are my delight. And then from that point now, come even closer to my heart. And I think that's probably what, what Mike Bickle was pointing to in that statement, so... You have something else? You, your hand is still up. I don't know if it's just because you didn't turn it off or you want to add something else. Okay. <laughs> For those of you that might be interested, Karen, did you have anything you want to jump in on here? Yeah. The, the only thing you know, I was thinking of, and I heard it the other day for really the first time, is you know the, the picture in Revelation of the new Jerusalem. There's no mention of sons there. It is the bride. And so it's a sort of bride, like yeah. Cynthia was saying, it it does feel like it's a progression, you know, okay. uh, from sun and 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 Cheeky said it well, different dimensions of intimacy. I mean, if you the the Lord said to me the other day, you know, he's calling me Joe. Um <clears throat> middle name is Joe. And um and I don't know, I started writing and signing my name as Joe. And so it's a, this whole thing. It started in Texas. Everybody started calling me little Joe, like on Bonanza. But anyway, <laughs> he, he said, um, marry me, Jojo. 
and, and you know, and, and as relating to him as a daughter, and then hearing that from him, and, and I know it's it's the lamb, I know it's Jesus, but it just takes your heart to to another level. Yeah. So if so if that's the case, then is is getting the getting our identity as sons of God essential as a fundamental way of relating to God before we can even really understand the metaphor of being a bride. See some heads nodding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it would seem that if as as long as I so I go back to what we believe about God determines what we believe about everything else, and if our notion of God is still the judge, the mean one that's looking out for when how he can punish us when we do wrong things, it's going to be very very hard to have an intimate relationship with him that that closeness that that would be experienced between a husband and a wife. So we have to first break away from those notions, see see the Father through Jesus's eyes. So where we can freely receive the Father's love. And then once we can freely receive the Father's love as sons, then he can bring us in and, and mold our heart into even deeper yes. levels of intimacy. As, as a Bible student, uh, several things strike me about the conversation. One is that there are only about 10 references in all of the scriptures that would point to God's people as a bride. Uh, a handful of those are in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's usually metaphorical. There's always an as or a like with that. There are only three references. I, I would have sworn, as I said earlier, that, that Paul used this bride analogy. He doesn't. And, and I've preached that he did, in fact. So I've got to go back and find that and retract that. But in all of the New Testament, there's only five references to the bride of Christ. And as I said, the last one or two in Revelations, only three times in Revelations, and it's from chapter 18, 19, 20, 22. But in John's gospel alone, 150 references to fathers and sons. So I'll take you back to a little bit of a, a Jewish metrics that I think fits into this and maybe, maybe lends itself to the language. And that is in the Jewish culture, uh, you didn't meet your husband uh, on a date, right? You just it wasn't going to happen. The fathers and mothers of the family would be the ones that would match their son or their daughter with the to-be spouse. Go watch uh, what a tradition, uh, Fiddler on the Roof. You know, you'll see that. So the the relationship with the father. Uh, clearly was critical. The father was not going to introduce a, a potential bride to his son unless he really knew that bride. In that situation, yes, you, you can clearly see the, the father knows his son, but then he has to know the bride too before he brings them together. But here's where I go back as a student again. I'm not trying to say it's one way or the other, just from what I found I find that in the very beginning, we see sonship language. We've talked about from before the foundation of the world, you're ordaining called to be sons. Before the foundation of the world, the, the, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit were there hovering over the deep, creating. Uh, then you find Abraham's promise. What's God's promise to Abraham? It's a son. Then everything happens through sonship, you see. And then you get to, the, to Jacob's 
uh, tribes, you get the 12 sons of Jacob. And we've seen how each one of those sons' names speaks something of the nature and characteristic of sonship. As much as I've tried, I don't find that when it, when it comes to, to the bridal talk. That is something that comes at the very end. Is that a progression? I don't know. I don't think we ever lose our sonship. If we're one in the Lord, he's one in us, we're one in him. I don't think we ever lose that. But I think there is this sense of this corporate, the world has been made right again. What is broken has been healed. Uh, what was once divided, Gentile and Jew, that wall of partition is broken down now in Christ. We're one. In that sense now, there's this corporate identity of a bride that is fit for the son. That is to say, and this is my sense, is that until I learn a reality and a revelation of my sonship, I'm not going to be able to communicate with him very well. I'm certainly not going to make a good bride for him, if you will, if I don't even feel like I'm worthy of a relationship with him. So sonship brings us into this sense of worth and worthiness where we understand that we're in, we're in the circle, we're in the relationship, we're in the love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And whatever metaphor he wants to use, I'm for it. And it is, it is a beautiful picture. And, and Sylvia, I love how Sylvia alluded to that, that, that it's the Father's doing. The, the Father chose the church. I'm taken back to, I forget which psalm it is, where it says, ask and, and I'll give you the nations to you. Psalm 8-6, yeah. And eight, so... And, it, and that's speaking of Jesus. That's the Father telling Jesus, ask me, ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. And so we see the love of the Father for the Son to say, I want to give you the nations. Oh. I want to give you. So the Father is preparing, calling sons to himself, but preparing us as a bride, as a gift back to the Son. Mm -hmm. And it's just such a beautiful relationship of, of the love between the father and the son mm -hmm. and to see how the father is the one like Sylvia said that woos us that that draws yes. our heart into his so that we can be a fit bride yeah. for his son wow. right perfecting us and i think sometimes we we get the idea of the bride of christ thinking that we have to perfect ourselves <laughs> yeah. and we miss the point that really it is the father who's drawing us in who's wooing us who's who's calling us beautiful and mm. delightful and mm -hmm. and then Hepsibai, right? <laughs> that that beautiful sense of th then the we Lord can then then we are prepared yeah. to behold the son yeah. as as a gift yes. as a personal gift from the father to the son. Yes, like, you wow. just helped me put something together there. Jesus, by the instrumentation of the church, by the Holy Spirit, brings all the nations and presents them back as a gift to the Father. All the nations of the earth, all the kingdoms of this world, Jesus is going to lay at the Father's feet. And in return, the Father gives him a bride. It's a beautiful thing. So, praise the Lord. I don't have to wait till then. I can be a son, walk in that, walk in his love and his intimacy now. Anybody that hasn't had an opportunity to share? I see Melinda's there, but uh, maybe she's... Uh, cooking something for her family right now. Deborah, we just love all of you. Thank you for being on. Uh, anything else you want to jump in on? Maybe any of these topics that you saw earlier that you would like to to uh, touch on or ask a question about or anything here that you want to say in addition to this? Maybe there's a verse or a passage. I've, um, I want to give you room for that. So Andres, Andres, your hand's up. Tell us what's in your heart. I think that the, there's quite a difference between the mindset of in Occident and West, the West mindset and the, and the East mindset. 
And I think that there's a lot of, uh, because when Chiki was talking about this, what, what, why this fascination about this relationship? I think that is because we are still under, under this influence of uh, the Freud theory about mm. feelings and about mm. sexuality. And, you know, it's mm. kind of, of trying to put the, the church in this same dynamic of this mm. is what life should be. So yes. I think that's the way why the people is looking always yes. for romance and, and uh, romantize, romantize all of the relationships, yeah. even yes. the, the relationship with the father. That's a great point. Interesting. And it brings, uh, it brings the dialogue from the fiddler on the roof, you know, when, when uh, Tevia. Tevia, Tevia asks his wife, Golda, you know, they've produced, what, seven girls. And he asks his wife, Golda, Golda, do you love me? Do you love me? You see, he's watching his girls be shifted by that romantic philosophy, and, and they're falling in love with guys that are not from the Jewish lineage, and, and he, it's throwing Tevia into chaos, you know. Tradition, it's about tradition. And, and so he goes to ask Gold, Gold, do you love me? And she gives him a strange look. She says, do I love you? You know the song, don't you? Do I love you? I've washed your clothes for years. I've, I've made your meals. I've done all this. I've milked the cow. I've given you seven beautiful daughters. Do I love you? And, of course, the point is love is not a, a romantic feeling you fall in and out of. It is a shared life. And this is the whole idea. Thank you, Andres, for bringing that to us. The, the whole Jewish metrics, the Hebraic sense of God's heart is not just about a feeling that might come and go but about a covenantal shared life with each other. And as we share that life together, we become one uh, in every way. And I think this is something that sonship is calling us to, uh, whether we're communicating it well or not. Sonship is more than a triad or working through some books. Sonship is learning how to share lives. And for the West, I know for me it's true, for the West, the, I think the, the, biggest, um, the biggest beast that we could slay in the West is individualism and thinking that it's normal to do life on my own uh, when he's given us one another. Cheeky did a great job yesterday talking about uh, the gifts of the Spirit in this sense of shared reality, that the gifts aren't for me if the Lord gives me a gift to give to someone that's broken. Uh, and I've seen the gifts of the Spirit in a new way. I wish I hadn't written the book yet. Now, that was the first book I wrote. That's the horrible thing about writing books or <laughs> recording sermons is later on you see it a little better. Um, but this whole idea of God's gifts of compassion does something else to us. The gifts of the Spirit, if you learn to hear His voice, He will connect you with people that you would normally connect with. He'll connect you with somebody that's broken. He'll say, go speak to that person. Go talk to that person. Where normally you would be happy just to leave them alone, whether you're in Walmart or CVS or someplace else. And now the Holy Spirit's connecting us to people that we have not had any connection with. Isn't that marvelous how God's compassion moves us toward other people? And that's connection, not just in the church building, but wherever we go. Uh, in the jury room today, connections. There were people I got to talk to, share with. Two of them happened to be uh, people that I knew. That was amazing uh, to have that kind of odds. But the Holy Spirit is, is the administrator. He is the divine networker of the Father's compassion. And if you just let that get in you to any kind of degree, 
you're going to get connected with people. You're going to meet people that you would have never met any other way except that he sends you to them with a gift. Yeah. You're writing, so I'm taking, what do you want? I'm taking notes, but Sylvia had her hand up again. Okay. Sylvia, is there something else you wanted to share? No? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I think, well, it's 7.55, so I think we need to wrap it up. But um, so interesting that, that you bring up the, the thing of love as shared life. And so easily we default to intimacy or love being something else than shared life. And so I think in that sense, that brings even a lot more clarity to me as mm. to the positioning of sons of God is also an invitation to share life. It's not just, it's not just sons, but it's, it's, it's an eternal being one mm. with. So it's a reinforcement of oneness. Um, and it takes different aspects. And I think the the beauty of God is that he, he uses a lot of different language to convey the idea so that mm. we can, if you don't get it this way, get it this way. And if you don't get it this way, get it this way. It's just as long as you get that I'm inviting you to live in the most intimate, close relationship yeah. with me. And that's uh, to me. That's just uh, right now. I'm just like mm, awed yeah. at the love and the grace of God to to woo us and reach us in so many different ways. Yeah. What is the Father's mission? We say the Father's mission is to restore what was broken, make it whole again through the gift of His Son and His Son, the Spirit of His Son, operating uh, through us. So He's not just out to grow a cluster of grapes over here on a on a stake somewhere. He's out to make us whole. And those that don't even know that they're a grape yet, <laughs> to, to draw them in. And that takes sons and daughters that are not self-conscious, that are not sold out for individuality or, you know, I did it my way or the American dream. But we're sold out to the Father's mission, which is going to mean we're, we're willing to lay our life down for somebody we might not even know, but certainly for those that we do know. So I guess this is, this seems like a weird topic on <laughs> for a global sonship forum, but thank you, thank you for bringing your yeah. ideas for your for your openness. I think I think it is important for us to talk about these peripheral things as well because it gives us a greater understanding. So I think mm -hmm. some of my takeaways is that we're certainly not saying that intimacy is wrong. It's mm -hmm. it's good. <laughs> the Father is He's inviting us intimacy. Mm -hmm. We're not saying that we have to choose one or the other. Or that right. one over the other. What what we're seeing is the law of the Father to bring us as his sons into a fuller understanding of his love. And that we don't put it in just one little box, but that there's different dimensions to it. And he uses different language to convey to us the fullness of his mm. love. Mm. Um, and I think we are saying very clearly that our Western uh, culture and mindset maybe is creating a more hurdles for us than we realized. <laughs> <laughs> and so those are things Ooh. worth exploring. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it really is. Go back to the idea of uh, Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. And so what does God do? Does he go pile up another pile of dust and create? No, he reaches in, he takes a rib out of Adam. Think about what God has done for us, putting us back into Christ. Christ. We are in him as if you want to say Adam and Eve, wife, what's what's that all about? Equal. I think it was Martin Luther that said, and we you'll hear it in in weddings at, at times. You know that God did not make uh, Eve a, a head to be over Adam. Did not make her from, didn't make her from his heels so from his heels so that he would be under Adam, but brought brought her from his side to be alongside or equal to. And so I think the bride metaphor and the sonship 
reality really speak the same thing. We're in him. We are equal to and able to receive everything that he has for us throughout eternity. Praise God. So I hope that helps you a little bit and maybe even drives you to do your own uh, word study. Go to your go to your Bible software and just put in the word bribe, bride and uh, click on that and see what comes up. You'll see a lot of Old Testament references about brides that are not referring to the body of Christ or the Jewish people, but referring to uh, waywardness, uh, brides that did not use their beauty well. But if you look carefully at those, uh, it'll be very instructive. And then you can get back on or email us or text us and give us some more insights because I want to grow with it. I want you to grow with it as well. I will say that in, in, in my, since I heard that statement from, from Mike Bickle, the Lord has clearly used that to draw me into a new level of intimacy with mm-hmm. him. And um, so... I just want to I'm say, for, for those of you that are not at Table of Friends, you, you might not know, the Lord has, is doing a work on me. Um, whew. And uh, I'll just touch on it very quickly. I talked about it yesterday, but I had a student, an LCU student from back when, and I didn't know him, didn't even recognize his name, but he texted me. And he said, I have a burden on my heart. I feel like I need to share it with you. A couple of weeks later, we had a phone call, one-hour phone call. And after he's through talking for an hour, I'm still not exactly sure what, what that burden was about. But immediately after the call, he sent me 10 videos of Mike Bickle going through his 40-year history with IHOP. And as soon as I saw that, it's like the Lord said, this is what that call was about. I want to cross-pollinate you. Because I've been in this place now where I've, I've got this revelation of sonship. If all things are mine and I'm Christ and Christ is God's, then then that changes all of my ways of prayer. It means I'm starting over and in many ways learning how to pray. And so it threw me into a bit of a chaos. And the Lord said, you haven't really gone to any place that's committed themselves totally to prayer to see what they're doing. In all these years when I've had this strong call of prayer in my life, I've never once gone to IHOP to see what they're doing. And they're much more committed to prayer than I am. So the Lord is doing a work in my heart. When we talk about Mike Bickle makes this statement, do you like it or not? We're not putting any criticism no, on Mike or anybody it's, else. It's been a great invitation for me. Mike too. Bickle has been uh, drawing me back into a place of the supernatural that I have relished and cherished, and I'm so grateful for what God's doing in my life through his ministry. Yeah. So we don't share any statements as, well, we don't agree with that and picking at it. No, we're thankful for every voice that God uses to speak to us. Amen. Father, I just speak blessing over your people. I thank you that you are growing in us. Your voice is growing clarity and volume in us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you cry Abba in our hearts, and we know that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, and that you know what we need, Mm -hmm. even before we know what we need. We bless you for it. Thank you for your spirit that rests upon us and even teaches us in the night season tonight while we're asleep and brings more answers and more clarity. We bless you for using us as gifts, as the pizza delivery man that's bringing the fresh, hot bread of heaven into people's lives. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you. Love you all. God bless you. Have a great evening and a great week. And we'll be sending out this list again for you to look at and see if there's any topics you want to jump in and help us with. Amen. I'm going to use this just to go out. I found a tool. I found a little tool. Yeah.
<laughs> Bye, Bye, everybody. Bye.